Welcome back to Elections on Tap with your host, Miles Wilburn. Joining me on today's panel, we have Max Littman and Brock Mears. So this is, this is episode eight. Uh, we're going to be talking about Appalachian politics, Kentucky, Tennessee, and West Virginia. Just going to preface this episode a little bit, this is the first mostly homogenous grouping of states that the panel and myself has covered since we began in March. For anyone that doesn't know, uh, what we've decided to do for states that have similar populations and uh, is focus on a group of these states as one podcast episode. So for the purposes of this episode, we're focusing on Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, as I previously said. And now while you can certainly argue that parts of Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, and, and several other states fall under the geographic purview of Appalachia, the mountain range covers significant portions of of those three states and has greatly shaped the cultural and socio-political dynamics in each of, of these three states. So my first question to the panel is that while the populations within these three states are culturally, politically, and socioeconomically homogenous, can we find any unique differences between each state? And I'll go to Max for that. So the differences between West Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee is what we're talking about? Yeah. It's it's a good one, and I think if you look at just economically, you got a big difference. You have West Virginia, somewhat of a mining-based economy, and I'd argue West Virginia is much more rural than the other ones, and even rural for Appalachia. If you go to West Virginia, you have a couple big cities. You have Wheeling, you have Charleston, and that's just about it, and it's very much hill country outside of that, whereas you look at Kentucky, you have an actual major urban center. You have Louisville. Uh, I don't think I pronounced it right, but I never do, so I'll just take that with salt. Uh, you have Cincy suburbs, you you have some actual foundations there. And if you look at Andy Beshear, who can still win in Appalachia, Andy Beshear won off the back of winning Louisville heavily, doing great in urban centers that you just could not do in West Virginia. Uh, and the same goes for Tennessee to, to an extent. You have Nashville, obviously, but Nashville, unlike Louisville, is a more conservative city. They're still, still liberal, of course, like any urban city, but the Nashville suburbs are still heavily red. Uh, but then, like, the demographically also, uh, Tennessee started the Black Belt. Uh, Kentucky is much more racially diverse than West Virginia, which is, I don't know the percent white they are, but it's something incredibly white. So they, they all three have their little differences, but they're all still a distinct subculture. Yeah, and you, know, you, could, you could probably put uh, Memphis in that, in, the, in that list of... of yeah, Memphis America. in that too, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, of, of a big urban center. Um, with, within Tennessee. Uh, Brock, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, really, it's hard for me to find many differences outside of uh, Nashville, Louisville, uh, Lexington, Memphis. They're all very similar uh, politically, religiously. Uh, they're all pretty much blue collar areas. To me, I don't, I don't know, it's kind of hard to find any differences. Yeah, I, I think that I, I would definitely agree. And it, it, there's, there's not, there aren't a whole lot of differences, um, sort of outside of, of of what of what we've already talked about. Um, but it's it, they're very interesting states to look at politically, and we'll sort of get into this later. 
based on they're very interesting politically to look at because of the coalitions that now um, that, that, that now exist. So yeah, that would be that would, that would kind of be my, that, my my take on it. So going on to my second question, these three states used to be all bastions of, of democratic rule. For instance, as recently as 1996, Bill Clinton handily carried all three, Ross Perot's third party bid notwithstanding. Then in the year 2000, Gore lost all three states to George W. Bush. Why has this proverbial realignment happened so swiftly in places where, for example, the best a Democrat does in a statewide race is lose by eight points in a Democratic way of election year? So I'm talking about Tennessee here with Bredesen. So yeah, why why has this shift been so so fast or so so quick? And I'll go to Brock for that. What do you what do you think? Well, these states are for the most part very culturally conservative, and the Democratic Party keeps moving to a more uh, liberal uh, ideology. And when you run candidates like Marquita Bradshaw or Paula Jean Swearingen, that's just not going to help uh, statewide or local Democrats out in those areas. How about you, Max? Do you have anything to add? I mean, if you want to, oh, of course, if you want to boil it down even more, it's education. The education gap, as we're seeing, Democrats are highly educated. Increasingly, Republicans are less educated. And the higher education levels in all three of those states are, are drastically lower than their states in the region that aren't Appalachian, like Pennsylvania. Uh, and I think definitely lower than the country as a whole. So if you want to boil it down, it's the education divide, whereas uh, specifically higher education too, right? And we saw it exacerbated by Trump in that high education areas increasingly have voted against Trump both times. Uh, and lower education areas uh, by higher education, not only keep going Republican, but keep going Republican more and more so, which is why you look at places like Mahoney Valley in Ohio, you, you think they have more room to become even more Republican. And I mean, it, looking at all these states and that, it, it, it's no surprise culture wars as we see right now, the culture wars, which I would argue are largely stemming from education, right? Republicans see higher education as this liberal breeding ground of cancel culture and terribleness. And they've really effectively run on that in these states. And if you also look at another really big thing is as the Democratic Party has increasingly become anti-gun, uh, these areas of Appalachia which are very pro-gun increasingly have gone away from the Democratic Party. If you look at the 90s, the Democrats were in the NRA. A, a lot of them were hard-carrying NRA members and the NRA now is a political arm of the Republican Party. So if you look at how the Democrats have let issues like that slip, and there's an argument that they should have, like I'm not I'm not defending the Democrats letting it slip, but the fact remains that the Democrats were not so anti-gun as a whole. They would do a lot better in these rural Appalachian areas where if you look at the gun ownership rates, some of the highest in the country. So it, it, it's all it's all things to consider with, with how you're running electorally, but also like what you believe in. I don't think anyone could see could see like uh, the big mass shootings we've had lately in the Democratic Party and not call for gun reform. It had to be done, but those those reforms are costing you votes. Things like abortion. Democrats have, have drastically come around on abortion, whereas you don't have any of those Democrats who are who are who are pro-life anymore. You have Bob Casey and that's it. Uh, but those those pro-life Democrats in these areas used to who were pro-life, pro-gun and very conservative on these social issues used to do great. And those don't really exist anymore, partly because of litmus testing in the Democratic Party and partly just because they they just don't, they became Republicans. Yeah, I, I think that hits the nail right right on the head. Um, and I, I would, 
I would add that just uh, yeah, I, I would add that the, the Trump the Trump definitely exacerbated it uh, sort of it, it, sort of a level that, uh, that 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 we didn't necessarily expect or might not have necessarily expected. I mean, we're talking you know upwards of 30, 40, 40 point shifts um, it, from it, within the span of, of 10, 15, 20 years, which is insane to me anyway. I mean, you know, you look at Southern Ohio in 2006, Strickland was able to, to carry Ohio by a wide margin and she carried swaths of Southern Ohio, which is technically part of, of, of Appalachia, or at least the foothills of, of Appalachia. And you know, now that would be, that that's completely different. It's fascinating to me. Just, just generally speaking. Miles, what's the what's the biggest difference between 2006 and today with those voters? I have an argument here. <laughs> um, I I honestly I don't know. Um, Little website called Facebook. In 2006, they didn't use it. Now go to voters in Southern Ohio. Every single one's on Facebook, and you know what they're clicking on on Facebook. I mean, it's sad, but true. If you look at the the top 10 Facebook links of the day, almost every single day, every single one's Daily Caller. Every single one is Ben Shapiro. Mm -hmm. It's Fox News viewership. Fox News viewership only increases their social media presence. The Republican digital machine has has done wonders with these voters who are almost irredeemable at this point because they've been consuming this terrible trash social media for years and years and years. And it's coincided with them leaving the Democratic Party. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would agree. And anecdotally, because uh, I've got a lot of uh, family down from Southern Ohio, and, you know, they're, they're all about posting these, me like, the memes from, you know, 2017, 2018, that, that were, like, made in 2017, 2018, and they're still posting them, you know, uh, on, on, their, on their Facebook feeds. I think you're absolutely right, Max, um, that Facebook and social media in general has had a huge impact on the on the shift of these voters. And with that, I think we should go to our break. All right, welcome back to Elections on Tap. And the third question that I would like to ask our panelists is sort of stepping a bit outside of the three states um, for, a little, for a little bit anyway, is there any way that Democrats can stem the tide or slow the bleeding as it were in some of these three states or can Democrats do, the, do, do that, do, do the same in states whose populations might be a bit more heterogeneous like say states like Ohio or Pennsylvania or, uh, or, or, or other states. So uh, I'm gonna go to Brock on that. What do you think? Uh, I think they can, but they they need to run more blue dog conservative or centrist candidates in the areas where they might be more popular, uh, invest in some of these local elections in these very red areas. Don't just leave them with nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Max? You, you need to go full, like Brock said, you need to go full blue dog. You also need to embrace more populism ideals. Uh, there, there's a, just a number of populist like trade NAFTA, anti-NAFTA stuff mm -hmm. that, that Trump really picked up on that was unexpected partially because Trump didn't care about any of that, but, but worked really well. 
uh, some of the jobs and taxes rhetoric, you can, people in Appalachia don't care about a wealth tax because none of them are going to ever see the benefits of it. But things like stimulus and direct populism can really help there. Uh, a good point there, Brock, about, about running the blue dogs, because for instance, let's look at West Virginia. Let's see how Paula Jean Swearingen did, and let's see how Joe Manchin did. And I understand they're very different scenarios, but Joe Manchin's a senator, and Paula Jean Swearingen got 30% of the vote. Running these, these far progressives in, in these states is not going to help anything. It's not going to stop the bleeding. It, it's only going to make things worse. And I say that unfortunately because like, I like a lot of the things they say. Not Paula Jean, she's, she's crazy. But it, it, it's just insane that Democrats in these states keep shooting themselves in the foot by running people who are way too far to the left. And you have to run for where you're representing. Joe Manchin, it, hated by many Democrats, has a good approval rating in West Virginia because he represents them well and he represents their values. And if you're going to win in these states, you need to do that. Andy Beshear represents Kentucky because his dad was a god there and he represents their values well. Phil Bredesen came close because of the same type of deal. You cannot run way to the left. You need to run just full-on blue dog. And if you if you have to compromise some of your values to do so, so do it. I think that I, think that I would totally agree. Um, and sort of adding to that, I think that whatever whatever infrastructure plan comes out from, from Congress, Democrats need to campaign on rural broadband. That one thing that, that the pandemic has shown us is that the economy is changing and it's becoming, uh, and the, the pandemic might've accelerated that change. We're changing now to a more, a, 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 economy that's that's more online and i think democrats need to adapt to it i think we all sort of need to adapt to it and campaigning i think my my own personal opinion campaigning on rural broadband and increase or at least increased access to broadband is incredibly important and it's something that that, that, that in my opinion is paramount for the democrats going forward and during our, our, our break, we kind of discussed um, this just a little bit. What's interesting to me as well is that there are efforts sort of on the statewide level that Republicans are making uh, to sort of quash this. Or, 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 and specifically, I'm talking about what happened in, in Ohio just yesterday, where uh, basically in the, 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 the Senate budget, which might get line, line item, item vetoed by, by, by DeWine, basically it bans federal money from going to local municipalities to expand broad, broadband. Um, and so I think, I, I think that that's sort of the next area of, in, or one of, one of an area of, of interest that I'm looking into politically. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's extremely important to run on rural broadband or increase access to broadband in general um, because it's so vitally important or it's going to be so vitally important here in the, in, in the coming years. And, you know, you, you also look at schools and um, just for the economy. Yeah, that's kind of uh, that's my two cents on, on it. But yeah, anything you guys want to add? I'll add that I, I think rural broadband is great. I don't think it can win elections. I, I really struggle to think that running on rural broadband is really appeals to these people who have been so fed the, like the culture war stuff that I think that 
a them just running on like farm subsidies and rural broadband isn't enough. It's good, but I mean, if we we've had candidates, and look at DJ Burns in uh, in rural Ohio. He ran on full rural broadband and it didn't do anything. It didn't move the needle at all. He lost to Jenna Powell by like fifty. Good friend of mine, but uh, it unfortunately it's one of those things where like running on it just isn't enough to undo the decades of damage we've had. So it needs to be combined with a lot of other things if you want to have internet but I, I i've never seen it actually move the needle because i think also a lot of people don't understand rural broadband and what exactly they want uh, yeah i agree um I, it, I think it needs to be in in conjunction with a lot with, with a lot of other things um but yeah uh, would you, uh, anything else to add to you brock i don't really think i can add anything to that all right uh, let's move on to the final question that I have. Um, and this, this one is more, uh, more, more for the online people. But I would like to discuss sort of the absurd resistance to Twitter sentiment on social media regarding audits on high-profile Republican races. Like we've seen a lot of, uh, of sort of either blue-check liberals or blue-check celebrities even uh, promote these really wild conspiracy theories about voters in Kentucky, voters in uh, mainly Kentucky and, and South Carolina as well. Um, and it's basically they challenge the results of those elections. So my question is, how do we convince these people the fact that is political realignment and the fact that it's going on uh, as well as how many conservatives who voted uh, voted for Republicans for years are registered as Democrats. Um, and I'll go to Max for that. Yeah, uh, I mean, these people annoy the, the shit out of me. I don't know if I can curse here, but I did. Uh, I, I think a lot, a lot of it's education, right? I have a degree in political science. Miles, obviously, you have good education. Brock, you have a good education. We're all, we're all educated in how voting and elections work. And a lot of these blue check liberals and resistors, they're, they're mid-career, they've never studied politics, they've never read a political science textbook or political science anything. And from the face of it, it, it looks sketchy. If you look, at, if you look at Kentucky and see the registered Democrats, then the Democrat vote share, just from the very face of it, you're like, oh my God, this has to be fraud because you don't know any, any better. A lot of people just assume your voter registration means way more than, than what it is. I'm a registered Republican and I haven't voted for Republican in four years. Uh, it's just the way the cookie crumbles. But it, I mean, some of it's just turn, tune these people out and ignore them. The issue is they turn into full grifters and start making money off. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the, the key is just to call them idiots when you can online, but they're not going to get it. Uh, I don't think they want to get it because it confirms their priors too, right? Like you want Mitch McConnell to be gone. They hate Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Uh, you, you wanted what's your face to beat him. Uh, and you also, uh, Amy McGrath, you gave Amy McGrath $5,000 and she still lost by 20. Like, how could this possibly be? So you're mad you lost your money. You're mad that Mitch McConnell won. And so you see this really like obvious fix that the election was fixed and, and you go crazy. Unfortunately for them, that's not how the world works. And it's not how elections work, uh, which is why people over 40 should be banned from donating to political causes. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough fair point <laughs> how about you brock 
You just can't take Resist uh, Twitter seriously anymore. Um, <laughs> you have to call it their BS whenever you see it. Um, I guess try to educate people on what ancestral Democrats are, what conservative Democrats are. But at the end of the day, that's not going to move any of the Resist Twitter folks um, at all. Yeah. My, I guess my real kind of issue with it is that, you know, all of the, all these tweets get thousands and thousands of retweets and, and likes and, and, and whatnot. And, and so it's, it spreads like wildfire mm-hmm. um, to people like, like those that, that the Max described, you know, the mid-level career people, but as well as, as, well as young people, um, you know, and, and so it, it just... It, it's just this sort of a circular thing and you know we it, it kind of crops up every two weeks as a, as a trending topic topic or at least a trending topic within election twitter and it's just it's it it's exhausting um in a way in some ways i should say um you know dealing with all with with that and trying to correct them and and, and whatnot so uh, it, or it can get exhausting. Um, so, yeah, well, I think I've uh, I've covered everything, unless you guys have anything else to add, uh, and add in. Yeah, I have one more bit of breaking news for you, Miles. So, so I've known about this for a week, but it's finally just been confirmed. Uh, Bill Stice, the majority leader of the Ohio House of Representatives, and State Rep. Don Croft onto a physical altercation at the Columbus restaurant Lindy's last week over uh, expelling Larry Household. Oh and God. I just love that. I'd like, I'd like to see more Republicans fighting each other. I think it's great for our democracy. <laughs> <laughs> Might leave that out of the podcast. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's some good, fun, breaking news. Um, they were dining with separate parties in the, it's a great restaurant. And we're leaving at the same time when sites approached cross and started arguing over the ouster vote. And someone swung on another one. It's like some civil war shit. Oh my god. Ending <laughs> of Pre- Preston Brooks, terrible guy. All right. Um, well, with on, on that note, uh, I would like to thank my panel, my, my, my panelists, and uh, this is a, a great discussion. Um, and uh, tune in for the next episode thanks for listening to this episode of elections on tap if you like us you can subscribe to us on spotify or apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts if you can please leave us a rating as it helps us reach more people